You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. As always on Wednesday, it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. And this week, Wayne on Wednesday is populated by both Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment, and David Shapiro. David Shapiro couldn't be with us on Monday because of a holiday commitment, and he's speaking to us from New York. Wayne, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to start with David Shapiro. You're in America at the moment, and you're closer to Wall Street than we are, and Wall Street under extreme pressure today, as it was yesterday. Yeah, well, the background, obviously, the manufacturing numbers. But, Lindsay, I'll, I'll allow Wayne to talk about the markets. Um, for me, this is not unexpected. The last five or six days that I've been here, I've been watching, uh, C- uh, not uh, what's it, CBS, NBC, CNN, Fox. Yes. I've been watching all the news w- uh, networks discuss um, the impeachment procedures and, and really raise political issues. And, and I think what's disturbed me more than anything else is how deeply divided the U.S. is. You know, when I say deeply divided, I don't think that I have ever witnessed two sides um, you know, so extremely different and so full of anger and hatred. And what I'm getting at, and you can explore this a little you know, more, is that against that backdrop, you can understand why nobody wants to do anything in business, you know, why everybody will just take a step back and say, hold on a sec, uh, let's see where this goes before I start committing you know, to jobs, yeah. to expansion or anything like that. And I, for me, you know, the sentiment talking to people here um, is, I, I, you know, I, I find it extremely down. Yes, they're buying fancy shoes because there's millions of tourists here and everything. But from a business perspective, I think it's, uh, this, is, this is a country rattled. And, and what we're going through at the moment uh, is not going to help. It's going to take time to, to work its way through. That's, it. That's above everything else. Wayne, what would you say? I mean, what I would say in response to David's comments is rather that there is one person that has caused this, a divisive character by the yeah. name of Donald Trump, and he is entirely responsible, even though he never takes responsibility for anything that ever happens. Even after the ISM numbers yesterday came out, he said, no, it wasn't him, it was the Fed. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the ultimate in a victim statement. I've never seen so many victim statements. He is the victim of everything, and, and as you correctly said, it's not his fault. But let's take a step back. I don't think the impeachment itself or the proceedings towards impeachment are the major factor. Obviously, they're a negative factor. It's quite clear that it does cause indecision and uncertainty and markets quite rightly never, ever, ever like that. The big thing is still these trade wars. Now, in my view, before the trade wars really got going, it was quite clear to us that the global economic growth rate was slowing down. So the good years were by and large behind you as the world adjusted from, let's call it the post-global financial crisis, to something more resembling a normal world, i.e. higher interest rates specifically in, in America. So then you throw into this mix the trade war story, which I suppose is maybe even bigger than the economic slowdown, but it has certainly exacerbated that quite dramatically. So I still think this is the major factor, this global economic growth slowdown. So far, it doesn't appear to be any danger of a recession. But you never know, by the way. You just you just never know. These things, unfortunately, tend to spring on you when you least expect them. But 
this global economic growth rate now worsened by the trade wars is still the major factor. Politics, by and large, you know, unless yeah. it turns into an economic event, will 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 dissipate. Whether he's impeached or not, or whether he wins or not, if the trade wars are settled, and not just with China, it's with he's fighting with Airbus now, and he's fighting with virtually everyone, and and uh, we know what's happened with Canada and Mexico. If these are settled, and it's an if, then by and large the markets will not yeah. ignore the impeachment, but will place a lot less negative emphasis on that. Actually, I think the impeachment is a, is a sideshow, quite honestly. I do think that that, that, know, that figure we saw yesterday was the big one, and it's all to do with trade wars. And also, let's, let's face it, it's not just Mr. Trump's stupidity that we're talking about here. We're talking about an economic expansion that has been 10 years in the making. It, yes. it really has been one of the longest expansion periods economically, globally, that we've ever seen. So it had to come to an end at some stage, David. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what I'm trying to point out, I, I agree with Wayne that, you know, the impeachment is a sideshow. That's not a, that's not the factor. What this impeachment has done is it's drawn out opinion. And, uh, you know, what, what I've established from this, and I agree, it's, it, it's a sideshow. It is going to detract, it's going to detract um, Trump from doing what he should do, which is maybe sorting out trade wars and that. What I'm saying, even if it's a, a sideshow, it's a detraction. It's mm -hmm. going to occupy his time. But what I'm trying to establish and what I'm trying to say is that I didn't realize how deeply divided, how, how people feel in this country. You know, there's one side or the other. This is long before impeachment. Uh, there's, a, there's a deep rooted hate. And the problem is that the kind of values that we used to see embodied in Norman Rockwell paintings, you know, uh, what did you call it, uh, Thanksgiving dinners and the Fonz and Greece and all those rock and roll shows we used to watch, yeah. you know, the perfect beach uh, um, surfing, surfing movies, and that's gone. Now it's a country that doesn't stand for that freedom and liberty and the American flag, you know, when you stand up and you put your hand on your heart. Uh, that, that to me is, is, is what worries me, and I'm saying against that, uh, this is a nation that needs to heal uh, before we start to address those problems. So, yes, trade wars is a big story brought about by Trump. But what it's also brought about is deep hate and anger. And uh, it's very difficult for businessmen against this kind of uncertainty to say, OK, so, you know, what's next from this man? You know, today it's trade wars. What's next from this? Uh, and what else has he done, you know, that we don't even know about? So that's that's what worries me. I look here and I say, oh, you know, do I really feel like going out and spending and, you know, eating American pie or whatever, whatever else you do, hot dogs and that? It just doesn't represent the same taste that it used to. Well, Wayne, I think, dramatic. I think what mm. David is saying, Wayne, is that there's a deeply divided nation. And unfortunately, the same situation prevails in the United Kingdom because yeah. it is yes. it's right down the middle when it comes to, to, to Brexit. And Boris Johnson mm. isn't helping matters at all. So we've got two of the world's largest economies. Uh, led by people that are divisive, as I've said before. Yes, very much so. But look, I read a very good article by an American political commentator, which made a lot of sense to me. And essentially what this person says was, is that you've got to descend to the lowest level first 
before you can start <laughs> to rebuild and recoup. Yeah. And his argument was that Trump and Boris Johnson are now the lowest level. So you almost need mm. something uh, to yeah. happen mm. before you can go back to the old ways or normality or whatever you want to call it. And maybe that's what's happening now. So we've mm. certainly seen in the uh, elections earlier on this year in the House, Democrats swept in with a vastly increased majority. Now, the Senate, I think, does some voting next year. The Senate is still majority controlled by Republicans. But another opinion piece I read also a day or two ago was that the Republicans will ditch Trump as, as the moment they see he's a liability. Eh? The moment they reckon this yeah. is affecting us and the party and our election chances next year, he will be dumped. He will be dumped clearly. They, you know, there's no, as far as what I can ascertain, there's no inherent love. And then maybe that's the wrong word. There's no inherent I, love. Yeah. Loyalty, maybe. I think they see him winning, hey? They see him winning again simply because there's no one to stand up for him. And this is why this impeachment uh, story is, uh, you know, he's unlikely to be affected by it. I don't know where it's going. You know, each day there are new revelations and that. But I mean, I think, way, you know, we are reaching that kind of low point where uh, something has to break. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to break it, but uh, you know that's that that's because the extremes uh, that people feel so extremely about it. Um, that you know, there's got to be a move to the centre somewhere down the line. We see, you're right in, in in the UK as well, but um, it's 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 rather disturbing here. So where do we go to from here? And we're coming out now, Wayne, with the result season, which I don't think are going yes. to support. Uh, sentiment that much, uh, you know. No one's no one's looking forward to um, results that are going to impress. If anything, we just hope that they maintain what what people have guided. You know, what people what uh, managers have guided. So yeah, it's it's. I think it could be a rough October. It could be a rough October as well. And October has a, a, a reputation for being a bad month, mm. but I think statistically September is is usually worse. But October hasn't started off well. Mm. I think we had a one point two percent fall on the S and P last night, and as we speak, although the S and P is rallying somewhat, I'm looking at the S and P futures. They're only 1. down one and a half percent down at the moment. They were down one point six five percent as we started this conversation. Um, but but it's not good. I mean, it's not disaster. It's um, yeah, we, we're used to these, these these relatively big falls. But let's bring this back to South Africa because yesterday, Wayne, we saw a PMI number that just really showed us that we are in the same position that we were during the Great Recession of 2008-2009, a 10-year low yeah. on the PMI, which shocked me somewhat. No, look, I mean, it is very, very bad news. But, you know, we've got to, I suppose, have faith that the future will be better than the immediate past. Mm -hmm. Assuming that the global doesn't, that the world doesn't go into recession and assuming trade wars are settled and many, many, many assumptions in that sort of a, a, a forward-looking statement. But we have to assume it. And, you know, uh, the, the, new, the new government has done a lot of things. I mean, sometimes it seems so slow that, that what's actually happening. But, you know, we're going to get these economic policy statements. Something was supposed to come out today. We did have Tito Mbaweni releasing his version of a policy statement. Yeah. We're going to get a policy statement on Eskom quite soon, if my memory serves me correctly. And if we do what 
is necessary in respect of structural reforms and we carry on down this path, I mean, the future doesn't look good, but at least we've got a chance of the future looking better. Where do you get that chance from? Sorry, I don't understand, because every single time I hear about uh, a new economic plan, a new policy meeting, a new bailout for Eskom or for South African Airways, nothing actually happens. It's been 25 years now. And the other thing that really annoys me is that although I'm sure that Cyril Ramaphosa is a fine fellow and behind the scenes he's doing things, he's, he's completely anonymous. Uh, at least, although we dislike Boris Johnson, or at least let me not put words in your mouth, at least I dislike Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, at least they're out there and making a noise. So Ramaphosa is completely anonymous. Where is he? No, I do agree with you. He's, he's, he's very quiet, but are we better <laughs> off with, uh, with a new president than with ex-president Zuma? You know, the conclusion must be we're better off, I would think, from an economic viewpoint and many, many other viewpoints as well. And mm-hmm. you've got to make that assumption. I mean, I read a shocking thing very recently again. You know, our potential growth rate, in other words, in theory, it's a very economic statement. It's a very theoretical economic thing, this potential growth rate. That, in theory, is the growth rate the country can grow at without causing any problems, i.e. essentially higher inflation, et cetera, et cetera. So if you had to exceed that growth rate, you will have excess credit creation or higher inflation or some sort of problem. Now, I don't quite follow this number. I don't quite believe it, but I read that our potential growth rate is 1%. It used to be about 22 2.5%. Personally, I think the number is closer to 1.5%, but that's irrelevant because that's also pathetic. So it shows you we need yeah. structural changes, and the biggest single structural change is yeah. we've got to sort out Eskom and its debt. I mean, you look at... Tong, at not Tongot Ulitz, at Ulitz Aluminium, mm-hmm. and you look at Robor today. Now, Robor's part of yeah. uh, Tiso Blackstar, I think, but they make, they make pipes. And they say, we just simply cannot compete with all of the imports yeah. and the government spending money and Eskom delaying capital expenditure and all of these other things uh, put together. And one of the big things, and certainly Ulitz emphasized this as well, is that at current electricity tariffs, the big users of electricity, i.e. manufacturing South Africa, steel South Africa, look at look at uh, ArcelorMittal, look at Heifeld Steel, they are just fundamentally uncompetitive and throw in all the other problems that we've got. In other words, the answer to Eskom and the answer to the country simply cannot be electricity tariff increases way above the inflation rate continuously to try and keep it afloat. We have got to reach another type of arrangement, whatever it is, and we'll find out fairly soon, I think, with the government issues the paper. But the way it is now, you're just throttling manufacturing yeah. South Africa. I mean, it's already throttled. It's already nothing. There's, We've nothing, lost... there's almost nothing left. You know, that way, that 1% is, is really disturbing because that's capacity. That yes. means with capacity within the within the economy to grow, and that means that, as you're saying, the factories um, haven't got the capacity anymore. The skills are not there; they can't do it. You know, I thought it would be two and a half to three percent. That's why you shocked and it's, me. It's definitely, a, it's definitely lower than two and a half or three. One no, percent, I think, is too low. One yeah. percent, I think, is too low. But it's probably one and a half 
or two percent. Even that, even that, even is, that's is very the, low. Yeah. So it shows you to get that number up, we definitely need structural reforms. In other words, the biggest structural reform that we've got to get made in this country is very simple. Government and all the SOEs are hopelessly inefficient and very expensive. Look at your rates and taxes and water and everything. That's the true impediment to economic growth in South Africa. It's not so much a shortage of skills, although that's obviously part of it, and et cetera, et cetera. It's actually just massive, massive inefficiencies by the government and the inability of the government and the SOEs to deliver what they should. And it's also something else as well. It's, it's, it's all to do with the, the psyche of the nation. It's all to do with the confidence yes. of the nation. You don't feel proud to be a South African anymore. Uh, you're, you're proud to watch the, 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 the Springboks and the Proteas and Bafana Bafana and everything, but you're not proud to be a South African. I spoke to somebody uh, today after an interview that I conducted, uh, a podcast that I conducted around about three hours ago, and he says, Lindsay, you're living in Rotterdam. What is it like? And I told him about the the, the way that the Dutch conduct themselves and that things work. And when I went back to Cape Town recently, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water because I'd become used to an organized society that works. And he said, well, you know, my 23-year-old daughter, I'm urging her to leave. I mean, this is a man in his, in his late 40s, early 50s, I think it is, he wants his daughter to leave the country. And that is a sad, sad uh, state of affairs. And just one more yeah, thing before you, mention, before you comment on, the, on this, David, because you're in New York. A company called Classic FM, which is a, a mm. fine radio station, went bust yesterday. It was owned by AME, I think Af African Media Entertainment, I think they're called. It went bust. And what that made me sad about that is, as a person that relies on advertising income, is that people are not advertising. People are just not doing anything in South Africa at the moment. We've, we've got a really big problem here. We've lost a decade. Mm. I, I, there's very little you can comment on. I think... What you do realize is uh, the efficiencies and how far other countries are moving away from us. The slower we grow, the further we fall behind. You know, it's like a race. Mm. If we're only growing at a half percent and other countries are two and a half percent, you know, whether you use nominal or real growth, whatever it is, they're making up more ground, getting richer than, than us every year. But, Lindsay, you know, I, I was fascinated. I'm always fascinated by efficiencies. And um, when we arrived here on a couple of days ago, uh, they were digging holes outside our streets. And we're in, we're in the midst of Manhattan on 62nd Avenue, which is Lincoln Center. So it's a very popular area. Yeah. They came with that. Uh, Wayne will appreciate this because he's a machinery person. He understands engineering. <laughs> <laughs> and they came with, what, with I, I don't know what they are, these front-end loaders, whatever it is. Not, but a, an efficient one. They were laying a pipe, and within the day, within, in fact, a few hours, they had dug 50 meters neatly, very, very neat, you know, absolutely uh, square, well, you know, uh, what's it, 90-degree angles, laid the pipe, covered them, connected it, tarred the road, all within a few hours. Now, and it only took a handful of people, not even a handful of people, and you suddenly realize the disruption something like this in South Africa would take and would be left for hours. Here, they cannot, they cannot afford to disrupt traffic for more than a few hours simply because of the grid 
that you're living in and what it would mean to traffic, etc. And that's the kind of pace at which you see moving here. Uh, no one moans. And the strange thing, and this you like, Lindsay, is that it's there's not one American in the team. There's no there's mm. there's not one American speaking or English speaking person in that team. The people who are controlling the trucks, digging the roads, laying the pipes, and 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 uh, resurfacing, all from our all Spanish speaking or wherever. But I mean, it works at a at an incredible level of efficiency as well. You know, whether you're catching the undergrounds, whatever it is, and you realize how much work we have to do. Yeah. yeah, and the, the the sad thing about this is that uh, even though I'm not a South African, I, I lived there for 28 years, and I I love the country, and I've, I've, it 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 was very very good to me, and met I met some wonderful people, and I know you, Wayne, uh, I've asked you about this whether you would leave the country, and you've sort of indicated that you wouldn't, David. I'm not sure your position. I get the feeling that you probably uh, might do, but um, even though we are proud of the country in so many ways we're also despairing of it what do you think wayne yeah look i i i, I agree with you on that on that uh, summary there i mean you know there are many many bad things about south africa and we know it and we spend most of our days thinking about it and talking about it but i think there's two other factors there are many many things that are good about south africa as as well um and we hope that the future will be better, as I've said a few yeah. times now, and we will be able to resolve a lot of these issues. But there's one thing that's not even really the government or the state president. We are an emerging market, so it is maybe a little bit unfair to compare South Africa directly with a first world country where your GDP per capita is a factor of 10 or 20 times higher. So mm -hmm. things can get significantly better yeah. in South Africa. And we hope that it does go that route. But we are still in the emerging market. So, you know, maybe make the yeah. comparison. And I know a lot of people will say this is opting out and it's not right and it's making excuses. You know, But maybe make the comparison against Turkey or Argentina or Brazil or Venezuela. Sure. Or, I don't know, Egypt, Turkey, as I said. I don't know. But so things, I mean... Yeah. As I said, there's lots of reasons to be sad about South Africa, but there's lots of reasons to be proud of South Africa and happy to be a South African as well. Very good. Yeah, very well said. Let's have a look at the South African market now. And just, just as we leave this comparison between South Africa and the so-called developed world, every single morning I get woken up by this ghastly machine and there's a big piece of grass outside of my uh, apartment block and it's a machine that sucks up dog poo. It is specifically <laughs> designed and deployed in order to get rid of the dog poo, even though they have these signs up saying, you know, you've got to pick up your dog mess and put it in this basket, yeah, and they've got yeah, this yeah. basket there, etc. But the, the Dutch come outside so that, in the morning so that, and suck it up. Is that, is, that, is that truly a super-duper pooper-scooper? It really is a super-duper, super-scooper-duper. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Let's move on to the market now because you two are fund managers. Uh, what are we doing at the moment? There's going to be a couple of little arguments here, I think, because Wayne is an optimist um, and the other chap, David Shapiro, is a realist. Maybe start with the optimist, Wayne. Look, obviously... Any portfolio we manage, there's only one free lunch in investments. Only one thing is given to you for free, and that is diversification. So 
our funds are well diversified, but obviously we're active managers, so you take a tilt, and our tilt is towards South African shares, banks, retailers, essentially, because they do look cheap, and if we write about the future, we should get a return on them, a good return. If we're wrong about the future, those shares aren't going anywhere. But understand, this is at a particular point in time. Over time, and let's just assume that we write and we get a half-decent return from the retailers and the banks, over time you want a significant proportion of your portfolio exposed to global companies. They might be listed here, but you want them exposed to global companies, you want global investments, you want all of these things because even though I'm an optimist about the future in South Africa, I'm almost I'm also a realist. Mm. We're not going to go to 4%, 3%, 4% growth rates quickly. So this is maybe just an opportunity because of valuations in our South African market that we are hopefully going to get an advantage from. But over time, there are so many things that have got to be changed in South Africa for us to go back to a real growth rate that is comparable to the world or other economies outside of South Africa. So it's a valuation thing. It's a where you are in the economic cycle. It's how you think the future is going to develop. But over long, long time periods, it is unfortunately very difficult to be super optimistic about capital returns, share market returns on purely South African-focused companies. David Shapiro. I, yeah, I'm, I'm very nervous of South Africa. I remain very cautious uh, for the reasons that, uh, that Wayne has spoken about. Um, I, I, I try to look three, four, five years down the line whenever I go into an investment. and I look at what the company is doing and the area in which they're operating. And I mean, that could be the global environment. So I still tend to lean towards international stocks. I find it I find it very enjoyable. I enjoy looking for businesses that that are on the move. And that's where I've you know I've put most of our clients' money. Uh, we're going through when I say rough time, it's not uh, our particular choice of shares, but rather that sentiment is is negative. And it's 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 a time that I'm still looking at at, at picking up stocks. You know, you spoke in the introduction about Trump going at Airbus. I still like Airbus very much. Um, as a company, Wayne, you can tell Julietta tonight. You know, I still like Airbus yeah. and 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 even Boeing. But well, I'll, there are I'll, of, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll pick Airbus on your behalf tonight in your absence. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I, you know, I still think things are happening here. Uh, the scientists are still in the labs, still looking for new ways to do things, and that's where um, Lindsay, that's where I still tend mm. to be to be looking. You know, there's so many things that are happening on the technology side, but I'm, I must admit, I'm very saddened by by the sentiment here. You know, that I'm seeing in America and the way that Trump has has kind of, you know, and it's almost like. In, in, in a biblical sense, someone waking up and saying, listen, we're going to drop three commandments. You know, we're only going to go for seven out of ten. You know, <laughs> drop these three. You know, I feel, I feel you're in that kind of way. And you say, hold on a sec, what's happening? You know. As a layman broadcaster. And with, well, I'd with, like number seven or eight to go. Which one? You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
just want to talk about before we get on to football and uh, and, and motorcars, uh, just to uh, close this discussion. I just want to say about the banks, and I, as I say, I'm a, I'm a layman broadcaster. I don't uh, understand EBITDA and income statements and balance sheets and that sort of thing. But what I do understand is the massive level of unemployment in this country, in the Republic of South Africa. I do understand that more entrants are coming into the banking system to try and plumb or rather and what's the what's the word plumb uh, try and extract money from a shrinking pool of clients and potential clients and you've got absa you've got first rand you've got nedbank you've got standard bank you've got capitec you've got investec and now these new entrants the online banking services uh, time bank and there's another one called uh, bank zero or something and i cannot see how anyone can justify being in in a bank and entering the banking sphere of the JSE Securities Exchange. Wayne, maybe you could very, very briefly counter that argument. Yeah, look, it's a pure valuation issue. All of the new entrants, you left out Discovery Bank there. Oh, exactly. All of the new entrants, all of the new entrants, first of all, even if they're successful, they're going to take a very long time to actually make an impact on the main banks. And personally, I have some doubts as to whether they're going to be successful. I went to a lunch with Blue tell today about cell C, and why would anyone want to enter an already saturated market with stiff competitors? And your only advantage is to cut costs, so it's a race to the bottoms. So I have severe doubt about the ability of these new entrants to actually stay the course and actually make money. But that's besides that. As I said, they are going to be a long time until they actually make an impact. And given the the dire states of our economy. Big banks are still actually growing profits, eh? not as our profits have gone back 30%. So, you know, as you said, for the 10th time, if the future is better than the past, <laughs> they have the ability to actually grow profits eh? quite significantly because to maintain profits or grow profits slightly in this environment, there's big gearing on the upside if we get it. If, assuming. Yeah, if. exactly. Um, David Shapiro, uh, let's talk about something that we always do on a Monday, but now it's a Wednesday, and Wayne is going to feel a little bit left out here. We're going to talk about football. Let me give you a scoreline. Tottenham Hotspur 2, Bayern Munich 7 last night. 7. 7. Even I know that one. Even well I done. know that one. Fantastic. It wasn't the most... The, the, I mean, it was a sad, sad story. And the interesting thing is that the social media are talking about uh, a sort of dressing room division because of a couple of chaps and their wives being a little bit naughty or uh, two chaps being naughty with someone else's wife or something, and that is what is causing the problem. So there's no unity there, David. Did you see that? I, I haven't seen that. Yeah. I haven't. Uh, but, I, you, know, you know, the worst thing is that, that what's his name, Gnogby, who scored four goals. Uh, used to play for Arsenal. Benga from Arsenal. Yeah. Yes. He was a great prodigy. I don't know why he ever sold him. I mean, he was the only one who ever. And he's come back to haunt. I'm glad he's haunting uh, uh, Spurs, but uh, he's also haunted uh, Arsenal to show what we could have had. But, I mean, 7-2 in front of your own crowd. So who's going to go, Pochino, what's his name? Maurizio uh, Pochettino. Or uh, Solchar, who's going to go first? I think they'll both go at the same time, and I think Maurizio Pochettino yeah. will replace Zinedine Zidane at Real yeah. Madrid. Uh, he just doesn't seem right at Spurs anymore. It's all over. When you you sound fascinated, I can hear you. No, uh, no, no, look, 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 <laughs> I, 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 don't follow, I don't follow football or anything that, 
other than my association with David Shapiro for <laughs> longer than anyone can remember. So I do know that Arsenal is now fourth on the table. Well done. And they used to be six. Google so is a wonderful time thing. Arsenal plays or I look at the table, I look out specifically for Arsenal. I don't even know who the manager is or who the players are. And I've never watched an Arsenal game and I probably never will. But because of Shapiro, I always keep an eye on David Shapiro is the Deputy Chairman of Sassoon Securities, sometimes in Merrill's Arch and at the moment in Manhattan. And uh, Wayne McCurry is a Portfolio Manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. Gentlemen, thank you very much. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.